Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. In this episode of Boss Files. It was a day-to-day struggle out of the financial crisis. Today, it's a matter of being able to breathe life into what I think is a very good strategy. And that is uh, this whole concept of responsible growth. Anne Finucane, Vice Chairman at Bank of America, a self-described hippie who never thought she'd end up as a banker. So why did she? In her words, she needed a job. Today, she's known as the woman who helped rebuild Bank of America's reputation following the financial crisis. When you have a near-death experience, you have to make a decision uh, as an individual, as a person, as a, as a company, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to take advantage of it or are you going to pre- try to wish it away? Mm-hmm. In our case, we took advantage of it and we just laid it all out on the table. What could we do better? Why she argues if there had been more women and minorities at the top of the big banks, the crisis would not have been so severe. Today, she's committed to ensuring diversity at the top. Plus, as a mother of four, she says she pedaled back in her career and watched her colleagues fly by her as she raised her family. That was difficult, she admits. I sat down with Anne Finucane at Fortune's Most Powerful Women's Summit. Anne Finucane, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate me. it. You are by far one of the most powerful, not just women, people in banking, period, your role at B of A has been described as many, many, many things. Um, one of the big things that falls in your lap is a bank's reputation. Right. How do you define your role today? Well, different than I did a few years ago. Yeah. Um, it was a day-to-day struggle you know, out of the financial crisis. Today, it's a matter of um, being able to breathe life into what I think is a very good strategy. And that is uh, this whole concept of responsible growth. You've talked to Brian Moynihan, so you have heard this. But the idea that responsible growth is not boring, it's the idea that you are looking at the world around you and you're planning for the future. Mm-hmm. And in planning for the future, you're, you're very cognizant of uh, demographics, of uh, globalization, of... Uh, ESG issues that I'm not sure that people thought about a few years back, but that's all. ESG? ESG, Environmental, Social, and Governance, um, which is all part of the formula for how you have to think about a company on a go-forward basis. ESG never came up. I meet with uh, shareholders all the time. Three years ago, meeting with 50 shareholders, I didn't hear ESG. Today, it's, they ask every single shareholder meeting about ESG. Brian Moynihan, since you bring him up, yeah. CEO of Bank of America, once said, partly in jest, maybe not totally, 
we all report to Anne. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he regrets saying that. It was certainly in jest. Well, I mean, it speaks volumes about your role at the bank. Right. You were the one, reportedly, that convinced him to, for example, eliminate those overdraft fees. And just to, that was 2010, you're sort of in the midst of coming off the crisis. Yeah. I mean, you've moved him on some big issues. Well, I don't think it's hard to move him. He's, he, I think he was right there to do it. I think that it's my job to uh, find the issues, raise them, and allow him enough of a conversation to make a case. Hmm. But um, he's a lawyer. He understands a good case, and he responds very effectively. You did not think that you were going to be in banking. You have described your younger self as a hippie who said you would have been horrified to be in a bank. Right. But you're in a bank, a big bank. How did it happen? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, I don't know how it happened, but it didn't happen all at once, that's for sure. Yeah. So the hippie needed a job. There you go. That that is important. That's a start. Uh, And I loved working. And uh, the more I worked, uh, the more I realized that to make a contribution in life, you got to be part of the action. And to be part of the action, you have to go where the action is. In this case, over many years, having gone from city politics to broadcasting to uh, advertising to consulting, somehow I ended up as a consultant to some financial services companies. They were merging. So in merging, they asked me to be uh, to join. I did thinking, this is a short-time gig. I'll just see what it's like to be at a company like this. And that was 22 years ago. Yeah, the rest is history. Growing up, Anne, fourth of six children, Irish-American home, outside of Boston. You still live. You're still a Boston Boston mm-hmm. girl. Um, you've talked about your childhood as being able to plow your own way. Right. What does that mean? Well, I think a lot of times people think that if you're one of six, you're like the Von Trapp family and you're (laughs) regimented to do, you know, you're all dressed the same and doing something. It just wasn't that way for us. Um, My father was uh, a pretty intellectual thinker. My mother was uh, also from a very large family, uh, well-educated, and um, they just let us be who we were. Hmm. And none of us was quite like the other one. And so I felt pretty free to be who I was and make mistakes. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of mistakes in my 20s. Uh, That's what your 20s are for. Yeah, well, I took full advantage of that then. And uh, it helped me, inform me for what I was going to do in the future. You lost your hearing for a matter of months. Oh, yeah, where'd you get that tidbit? No, <laughs> this is CNN. Yeah. We do our research. You did, though. I mean, yes. in listening to you in, in other interviews talk about this, you call it one of the greatest gifts of my life. Yes. Not probably how you felt at the time you were living through it. Why one of the greatest gifts? Well, first of all, as a kid, I'm not sure that I understood why it had happened or was this forever. I mean, you're young. I was nine. Um, I don't think it would probably happen today. Why did it happen? I don't know. Uh, probably some sort of inflammation that hit both ears, okay. um, and it just didn't go away. Uh, but we, you know, we live in Boston. The best doctors in the world. They didn't know either. Anyway, for me, the reason I thought it was a gift retrospectively, not at the time, but retrospectively, was because uh, I picked up nonverbal cues that I had to pick up. I mean, I couldn't hear what you said. 
I was one of six. So one of six, despite the fact that we could be ourselves, is very loud and a lot going on. And you have to, you know, finesse your way through uh, the dinner table, let alone uh, school. And in my family, my father read at the head of the dinner table every night. And then you had a game called 20 Questions. He did. And 20 Questions were built on history, politics, English, or if it was Friday night sports. And... Um, you had to be able to participate. So because I couldn't hear everything, I had to know what everyone else was doing because I still had to participate. How do you think picking up on those nonverbal cues helped you lead Bank of America through the crisis? Because I covered it. Uh, yeah. I, I know what it was like covering it. I don't know what it was like in your seat, but I can imagine. How did that shape and did, did it help you? in how you led through the most difficult times? Well, it's always helped me. Because if you read the nonverbal cues, you are able to sort of, uh, you have an extra element that I think is a real gift. You are seeing people's response. We're recognizing stress. I mean, people generally don't speak of these things. You can just see it, and you're watching them for it. Um, I was part of a team. I think that for me, uh, I was the one dealing with the external world as well as the internal world. And to fully understand where they were coming from as well as where we were coming from helped us uh, be informed as to what we had to do. In other words, we were in trouble. And um, to try to deny that would be foolish, not that anyone did, but to get to it to try to resolve our issues as quickly as we possibly could, to be as straightforward about the problems. I mean, remember, we were an unusual situation in terms of financial services industry. We had literally bought our way into the crisis. I mean, you became a global bank overnight. You, you know, you've got Merrill, you've got Countrywide. Yeah, but we, Countrywide was obviously so tarnished but we had just bought it six months earlier when the federal government thought it was a good idea. We thought it was a good idea, clearly not a good idea. And then we were uh, uh, brought together with Merrill over a weekend, probably more than a company should take on all at once, but we did have this all on at once. Um, and we just had a lot to work through, an awful lot to work through. I had read that you actually advised internally, warned against a countrywide acquisition. Is that right? Um, well, I think that's stronger. Yeah, that's from a New York Times piece. Uh, the, uh, I certainly didn't see its, uh, as much value as other people did. So at the time, I think people felt that this would be uh, embraced by the outside world. I didn't think it would be. Um, they were clearly running into trouble. I thought that they, they would, that could only accelerate. Now, by now, we're beginning to feel the headwinds of a coming recession. And though it made sense from a macro sense in ordinary times that a bank that did a lot of retail domestically would have mortgage, because that's a fundamental piece of your uh, net worth, it yeah. doesn't make sense in troubling times. For those reasons, I thought it maybe didn't make sense. But then you had to deal with the fallout. Right. So you have called this time the most complicated, most challenging of my professional life. And you've said we had to, un we had to repair the underlying issues. Right. What was the greatest thing broken you had to fix? Our culture. So when this much comes at you at one moment, 
and now you're dealing with three companies, in our case, Bank of America, Legacy, Countrywide, Merrill Lynch. What is your culture? Can you prevail um, given the fact that we were not particularly larger than the other two, not enough? Uh, our CEO had announced that he was going to retire. So the bellwether of how you're proceeding was somewhat uh, disrupted. So making sure that our culture was stabilized. Brian being um, made the CEO certainly helped. He had a very strong focus on uh, this, this idea of responsible growth and helping people with their financial lives and how were we going to do it. And that, once we had that, every decision uh, flowed from that. What we got out of, so we, as you know, um, uh, sold or jettisoned pieces of the business that weren't fundamental to the company. We um, sold off all the international um, sort of bits and pieces that we had invested in. Not We remained a global bank now through Merrill, but what I'm talking about is uh, we had investments in a Mexican bank, a Brazilian bank, etc. Sold those pieces off. Uh, got out of uh, the retail business in... Um, Europe, and then focused on our own knitting, brought countrywide basically back down to its pegs a lot. How do you rebuild a culture and morale internally? Because you've talked about the most important thing being your employees and right. how they feel. You guys reach a $17 billion settlement with the Department mm -hmm. of Justice. It's an enormous number. It's the largest civilian you know, civil settlement with, with a single entity in American history. So how do you tell people... Great way to make history. There you go. But, the, I mean, that, that is what was in your lap, Anne, and you mm -hmm. have a relatively new CEO. How do you convince your employees this is a company you want to work for? Well, with more difficulty then than today, that's for sure. Um, but I do think every move we were making was pretty transparent. So we weren't trying to hide anything. We talked about the company having to um, reset its compass. We talked about what was important. We talked about um, uh, seeking to settle where we felt we needed to so that the company could move on. And arguing who was to blame was no longer uh, an option. Mm. So just settling meant it was behind us. 17 billion is, you know, we made almost $18 billion last year, so that would have been a whole year's annual income. And it was more than that for most of the years that we're talking about, but, but it was then behind us. And actually, that was the biggest hurdle. Once we were through that, mm -hmm. we really uh, were able to set the ship right, I think. Um, you, most people will say all you have is your word at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And if, if we back up... even Just me or everybody? All, I hope all of us, <laughs> right? You're only as good as your word, all right. of us. And backing up a bit, when, when B of A acquired Fleet Boston, you personally promised lawmakers that you would protect the local jobs. Mm -hmm. um, how did you know you could do that? And how important was the ability to do that, to get, to get it done and to gain trust? Well, I think I had the trust of the lawmakers. I mean, I had the trust going in. I had a long history with most of them. At that time, also uh, convenient probably, but um, 
the head of the financial services um, uh, in Congress was Barney Frank, and the, who you you're close to? Yes, and the head of the Senate Banking was Chris Dodd, who I also knew well, both from New England, both whom I knew, both who I think felt that um, my word was good. Mm. And I felt the CEO, Ken Lewis, I mean, he was convinced that this is what it was going to take, by the way, uh, to make the deal go through. And he was a man of his word, so I felt confident it would happen. But we did track it every month for three years. Now, once we got to the financial crisis, I did return to them to say, I don't know if we can sustain this. This company is going to have to lay off people. We're going to have to make some fairly... um, uh, significant changes in order to succeed in the future, and they accepted that too. So they were not um, they were not oblivious to the obvious problems. You have urged uh, ha- had urged reportedly Ryan Moynihan, CEO, to support the new what was new the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that argument. Well, I, actually, first it was Ken Lewis, then Brian. Well, um, uh, first of all, I thought it was inevitable. It was going to happen. So, the so idea- embrace this, don't fight it. Embrace it, don't fight it. We had the largest retail base in the country, 50 million customers. Uh, they wanted a bellwether of what the future would be. Uh, the financial services industry had had too many issues to be on its own, considered good for its word. Mm. My feeling was that uh, uh, there might be issues with the CFPB, and there have been, but for the most part... Its mandate was the right thing for the American public, and why wouldn't we want to do the right thing? You sat down for a really interesting interview with with a friend of mine and a fellow journalist, Andrew Ross Sorkin, (laughs) and you said to him, journalists don't really seem to like capitalism. Hmm. What do you mean, Anne? I don't think, for the most part, I mean, you're probably an exception, but I don't think journalists like capitalism. Not, I mean, it's probably a generalization, an overstatement, but I do feel that way. I think the media in general is critical of capitalism. I think that uh, the uh, what CEOs are paid, what uh, what we do for a living is seen with suspicion. And of course, part of a journalist's job is to be investigative in your nature. So fine, but I don't think it's a natural marriage. Do you think? And it's not meant to be a marriage, right? Do you think uh, Warren Buffett has talked about some, you know, the big bank leaders have talked about even and and other leaders, um, people who have done extraordinarily well through capitalism. We need a new form of capitalism, a new inclusive capitalism. Um, Do you think that, I don't know, we're a ways out from the financial crisis. Do you think that America's perception is changing on capitalism? Do you agree that that? it needs to be more inclusive? Well, yes. I, I uh, Who am I to refute anything that Warren Buffett says? <laughs> um, he uh, likes it when people challenge him. Yeah, I, so, uh, you know, I think what he, what he espouses is good. Here's what I think, that uh, particularly in financial services, when we get it right, we're like a financial transportation system to the world. And when we get it right, we can make things happen for people. And I think we are now getting it right. When you have a near-death experience, you have to make a decision uh, as an individual, as a person, as a, as a company, what are you going to do with that? 
Are you going to take advantage of it or are you going to try to wish it away? Mm -hmm. In our case, we took advantage of it and we just laid it all out on the table. What could we do better? And it led us, whether it was embracing the CFPB or uh, eliminating overdrafts, uh, we did much more than that. I think that we made a contract with our employees. We uh, changed our health care benefits so the less you make, the less you pay. 16 weeks of maternity, paternity leave, uh, very explicit um, outreach to the LGBTQ community, uh, a bereavement leave that is is uh, longer than most, mm -hmm. uh, a minimum wage of $15. I mean, very basic things that you say, okay, now, now when we ask you to be an ambassador to the company, you feel good about the company and good training programs. So, same social contract with your customers transparency in the products you offer, uh, more capital to women. So we've been very good at being able to get loans to women at a uh, earlier stage to help stand up businesses. Environmental, uh, rather than talk about uh, philosophy or public policy, which I do like to talk about, uh, I nonetheless, we are very, very focused on making it a business. So not uh, proselytizing, but rather $125 billion worth of business that will make money. Those are really important things, but I don't know if they, don't, if they can happen as easily if you don't sit and say, since we're going to take this all on, let's take it all on. Let's look at all of it. And Brian is a contemporary leader. 40% of the management team are women, 30% of the board. That makes a difference. If you look like the the communities and constituencies you're, you're serving, not all white men. More from my interview with Bank of America's Ann Finucane after the break. In your career coming up, you've said, I didn't have mentors, I had bosses. Yeah. And you speak specifically about a former boss, Elizabeth Cook, who had a profound impact on you. Right. What did she say? What did she do? Well, showing up was half of it. I mean, remember, uh, I was a hippie, so I arrived in the office with, you know, clogs and a, a Mexican wedding dress. I wasn't exactly... I promise to, to people you're not wearing that now. <laughs> not exactly. Uh, no. So, uh, you know, she was stylish. She was 40, which to me would seem like 80. Um, and she had two kids, and she had come back to work, and she was divorced, and she was going to graduate school at night and she had a boyfriend I just like this seemed like a lot and I thought well I'm 22 I could at least take some of this on and it just opened the door to me that what a woman could do um, at what I thought then was this super advanced age and uh, it just gave me enormous energy but on that question that I I hate the question of having it all in balance mm. I don't know, I have one kid, another one on the way. I'm a, on a good day, it's a juggle for me. Right. Uh, you have said, I don't have it all, and I don't think men have it all either. Mm -hmm. They're just better at faking it. Right. Really? Yeah. I think they're probably, yeah, well, for, or, or they don't care. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Um, I haven't stepped in a man's shoes lately. I just, <laughs> I think for us, for women, you just make these decisions. You want to be married? You want to have kids? I mean, you can't. You're making those decisions. So your workplace is, can accommodate to uh, a degree, and then you've got to have some flexibility. Maybe this job, the next job, isn't going to happen for a few years because you're nursing a baby or you've got a sick kid or you're trying to 
make it all happen. Is the husband got the same issues? No. When I say faking it, they kind of just don't mention these things. But you've said that's okay. I mean, in your life, you have talked specifically, Anne, about pedaling back. Yeah. And look where you are now. I mean, it did, that's important for, for young women to hear. That I'm not so young anymore, but that's important for me to hear. Right, um, but I would have been there 10 years earlier if I'd like, been able to go straight ahead. But does it matter? But would you me. have been the mom you were? You're a no. mom of four. You have a special needs daughter. Right. Well, you may have been there earlier, but would, what would you have given up for your children? Way too much. I'm, I'm totally happy with what I did. But I didn't feel that it was... When I couldn't move ahead, I didn't feel it was someone else's problem. I felt that I knew I couldn't move ahead. That were, I, were you at peace with that? Because you talk about watching people. No, I break. wasn't at peace at it. I mean, come on, who's at peace with it? I don't know. It? A lot of people would say they are, frankly, Anne, well, and you then, know, you know that. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Of course, I wasn't at peace at it. I couldn't stand it. But I also <laughs> decided that this is what I had to do. Bite your tongue. You watched people whiz by you. Oh yeah, blow by me. Mm. Didn't love it, but. I also knew I had to get home or I couldn't get on the plane or I couldn't work till midnight. I just couldn't do it. Did you say those things? Did you say, uh, because I find sometimes it's the hardest thing. I try to do it though. I try to say I can't because not necessarily I need to be home with my daughter. I want to be home with my daughter. Sometimes I can do it. Sometimes I can't. Um, Did you tell people or did you sort of have to at that time make up reasons? No, I didn't make up reasons. I think, you know, you can't be pregnant that many times in a company and not get noticed. So, yeah, they noticed why I couldn't do it. It's just that it's hard. I think that it'd all be great if you wrote a book about yourself and it seemed like it was such wisdom along the way, but it's really not that way. You just are presented with a situation and you have to make a decision generally right then. So I, I can't do that. Yeah. Whether I want to, I just felt that I couldn't, so I didn't. Uh, a moderator on a panel once said to you, I've heard you've been called brutal. <laughs> yeah. You respond saying, if I were a guy, I think they would call me a straight shooter. Right. I still think that. So where, what category does that fall into? Unfair, just life, deal with it? Well, I think, you know, um, I'm not sure if they would call me that now, but they certainly... Yeah, they certainly did. I mean, probably am brutal, by the way. I'm very direct, and it seems like the quickest way to get to something. And then afterwards, I try to make up with humor and charm, which often doesn't work. But You mentioned some of the numbers at Bank of America, and, and I was looking into them. I mean, 40% of the bank's management team women, 30% on the board women. Um, on minorities, on diversity, I think it's something you guys are working on. Right. 4% African-American executive leadership positions. Why does it matter uh, to get all those numbers up even more? Uh, we're certainly a better company with the numbers we have reached. Imagine how much better we could be if we could have complete diversity. You want to be a reflection of the communities and the population you serve. So why are you, as a company, we should look just like the world that we're dealing with. And um, I would suggest that our company and a lot of other companies would have done better in the financial crisis if we had 40% women managers and 30% of the board were women. Um, I mean, we had women, but I just I think it's a big difference because I think when you have diversity, whether it's by gender or race, ethnicity, uh, sexual bent, whatever whatever the diversity is. 
it, it creates a need for engagement because you're not just alike. And so you ask a question. And the asking the question releases everybody else to ask a question. And imagine if we could have asked a few more questions in 2006 and 2007. If Bank of America were more diverse in its leadership and on its board in terms of gender and minorities, et cetera, you believe the fallout from the financial crisis would not have been as great? I believe that, uh, not so much about Bank of America in general, I believe it, about the financial Across Wall Street. Yeah. So then, okay, uh, all the data supports what you're saying in terms of company results being stronger, the bottom line being stronger. Every single study, when you have more parity uh, and diversity, then why do we still not have a single woman running one of the big Wall Street banks? Good question. I hope that we will soon. I mean, we just need one to make it through. Why do you think we haven't? I mean, I, I guess I'm... I don't know. I mean, do you know? I have no idea, but I don't sit atop a bank like you do. Right. Uh, You have to have more of us. That's the first thing. So uh, that that is what we do have now, and not just at our bank, at many of the banks. So uh, you have a greater pool of women to choose from, and I think that that then portends uh, positively on the future. You have to have... It can't be one woman, because then she, if you don't choose her, it's a problem. You, if there are enough of us, there's enough of a pool, and then you, uh, I think the selection is a little bit more obvious or a, a bigger opportunity. I think there will be women in the next decade. I think you will see women on top of uh, banks and other financial institutions. What about you? No, not me. Why? Uh, I think I aged out of that. Oh, come on. Yeah, no, I think that's not for me. It's not my thing. I could have, you know, if I wanted to be a CEO, I would have gone into something else, a different kind of company, not a bank. You talk a lot about and uh, uh, make America invest in women-run companies. You say women-run companies are home runs. But you also know, I mean, you were quoted in Axios talking about the number of small business, small businesses owned by women that plan to grow their business in the next five years has actually gone down. It's decreased from 60% to 54%. Right. Are we making progress? Are we regressing? Well, it's a complicated story. I think we are actually making progress because more businesses are being opened by women. Um, Access to capital is an issue. And like all small businesses, at first you're, you know, blowing through your credit card and you're getting loans from people or you're doing your home equity. But when you're looking for the next, uh, the next level of funding, that's where women tend to run into trouble more than men. And it isn't that uh, women are excluded and men aren't. I think that men are, uh, it's a tradition of being more aggressive and so they are more aggressive. We know men ask for raises more in, in traditional companies. So this is along the same line. It is along the same line. So we're trying to help women uh, get in earlier. Now, because of the risk issues, not about women and gender, but in small businesses, if you don't have a track record for two years, you're going to have trouble getting a loan from anybody. But these uh, community development uh, financial institutions can give you a loan. So banks uh, lend the money below market rates to the CDFIs. The CDFIs, in turn, uh, lend the money to, say, if you were a small business, along with a commitment of um, helping you, not mentoring, but literally helping you 
uh, with your accounting or whatever the issues are of your small business. Where do you stand on Dodd-Frank as it relates to the ability to lend? Do you believe that it needs to change? Do you believe that that is holding back? I mean, especially smaller community banks that are very different than Bank of America. Yeah. So say I, it holds them back. Yeah, I think it, I think the rules are uh, too onerous for very small community banks. But for you guys? No. You can deal? We can deal. I mean, there are pieces of Dodd-Frank that I think in more normalized times would have been amended years ago. And I don't think that Chris Dodd and Barney Frank would argue with that. So there are parts of it that don't fully work. I mean, like anything with that many 300 plus rules, you're not going to get all the rules right. They're not going to all work in harmony. But uh, the big banks have the ability and have adjusted to Dodd-Frank. There are a couple of things I think we feel could uh, change. The regulators can change, though. So You have talked about the need for companies to get better at onboarding women back. I was sitting at dinner last night next to a woman, a very high up woman in a tech firm, who talked about that being the next uh, equality issue that she wants to tackle. That she tackled, you know, getting more women into leadership, the minority diversity numbers, but now it's getting her... She has friends and getting friends who have left the workforce to take care of a sick parent, to have children, et cetera, right. back in. How big of a problem is that? Well, I think in general it's a problem um, because generally the women are the caregivers, which, by the way, is what makes us different. I mean, that, that's the first thing. How are you going to get more women to be um, further up the food chain? If we're always the caregivers, that takes us out, even if we're working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, unpaid as unpaid work that is working at, I mean it's you go but from one job to the next working job. even if you are working no I'm general, saying you have both right you have it all right there's a there's having it all there's a new definition there's of a new doing definition it all not having all. it all so um yeah you have first of all your maternity paternity leave has to be adequate so you can get back on your feet so ba- Bank of America is four months for new moms and new dads right but you don't have to take it all at once so you could take it you could pace each other I mean, you know how this works. Sometimes you've got, you know, your mother will come for a week, so that week maybe you I can do. go back to work. And yeah, I, to- I, I know I know exactly how it goes. I also have a husband who took time off with our first child and is going to take more off with our second. That is not the reality for most right. working new moms. Right. I, have a, I have a friend who shall remain nameless who works at Bank of America who gets this benefit. His wife is pregnant. And I said to him, oh, my God, you get four months. His answer to me... Uh, but I'm, I'm not taking it. I could you never should. take it. I'd like to take it. Okay. How do, how does corporate America, not just Bank of America, if they offer these benefits, convince men they can take it and it won't hurt their job? Give me his name. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but really, I mean, this is the issue, right? Well, that's the problem. But you have to get them one at a time. You have to get a high-profile guy that will do it. Mark Zuckerberg did it for two months at Facebook. Well, yeah, he owns the company. Yeah, I get that. But... You know, part of my husband taking time, a month with our first baby, is going to take longer with the second, uh, is to, in his words, show his team, the people he manages, they can and should too. Right. Right? You need people near the top to do that. Um, Sally Krawcheck, another uh, powerful woman in, in banking, former CFO of Citigroup, she's the head global wealth and investment management at Bank of America. She hates the word empowerment. Do you? In what context? In, in terms of women needing to be empowered or given power, because that's how she sees it. Yeah, I don't see it that way. Um, empowerment, I mean, 
I think you, everybody deserves an opportunity to succeed. If that's empowerment, I'm all for it. A little bit about uh, managing millennials and banking of the future, because that's what you're looking at now. Millennials, many will say they're not huge fans of the big banks. Right. Many of them bank with the big banks. How, though, they have to have changed the way you approach your business, have they? Oh, yeah. So, first of all, millennials have changed the way we run a business. Um, as you know, millennials are... This music is great, by the way. I just can't. I know. <laughs> I was trying to ignore it. But welcome to our podcast viewer listeners. This is Jewel live performing at Fortune's Powerful Women. We're just going to listen. She sounds to, great. We're just going to listen to it in the background because she has a lovely voice. Uh, what was your question again? <laughs> millennials. How do oh, we? Yeah, millennials. How do we change how you do do your business? Well, the first thing is we have more millennials than we have any other cohort in the bank. So you better be paying attention to that. <laughs> and. Uh, uh, they do expect you to be a good company. I think everybody does. But th- the, this truism that millennials are looking for what kind of company you are is true. Mm. And uh, it's also true of our customer base. But uh, we've changed. We have, I mean, the amount of online mobile banking, the, uh, the billions of dollars we put into technology and cybersecurity. Uh, we will... Uh, you know, this Zelle product that we're just introducing, which is the replacement for Venmo amongst the banks, I think will be better than Venmo because it's got higher protection and also you get the money instantly. Um, this is where we're at. So I, I don't know that millennials actually don't like big banks because they are sort of disproportionately using big banks. Mm-hmm. So I think they... Uh, probably don't like any big corporation particularly. I think the bigger thing for millennials is there's just this great big group that are part of the gig economy, which is sounds so cool and is so not cool because there is no stability and there's no health care, there's no... Wages, vacation right. time, share in the profits. Right. So anybody that's operating in a gig economy, which... Uh, you know, the gig isn't great because you're worrying about, you're, you're really a small business person, yeah. either running yourself or a small group of people. And that's where we think we can help. We can, we can get people going. We can uh, send money, take money. We can uh, help them with whether it's better money habits or uh, small business um, advice. So I think it's important to know what millennials want, but it's actually really important to know what small businesses need. You talked about gig economy, so perfect transition into this. As you know, it has been widely reported that you were on the short list of candidates to become the next CEO of Uber. Right. Did you consider it? Seriously? Well, it's nice to be asked. Uh, I just will say that it's nice to be asked to do anything, so that, that wouldn't be uh, a good fit for me. Why? Because uh, I think Dara was probably their first choice, and I think they went back to their for- first choice. And I think he's the right fit. He's got he comes from the right culture. I think that he understands the issues. What they also need is, and probably why someone like me might have been interesting, is crisis management, diversity, uh, some uh, experience, uh, and hopefully they'll get that in some other way. Is there a job outside of, of Bank of America or outside of financial services that piques your interest? I mean, you've said you don't want to be CEO. Mm. So? 
No. I mean, uh, no. Politics? No, not politics. Why? Well, just look at politics today. Yeah, I see it. That's right. what every, every leader I talk to tells me. That's the answer. Well, I just don't know where you get with politics today. I just, it's uh, too bifurcated, too polarizing. I mean, the whole, the whole value of business and capitalism is to make something go. I don't see much going now. Isn't, isn't that sad, though? Yeah. For America, that, that no CEO I sit down with, no leader in your position wants anything to do with running for office because they feel like they can affect far more change from where they sit. That, I mean, they... Well, who wants to be a daily punching bag? I mean, I don't know that you can get your policies through or anyone's even listening. It's just a game. So what does that mean for this country? What does that mean I don't know. for our children? Well, I think that there are leaders in place that are very good. Their voices aren't being heard particularly loudly right now. Like? Uh, you know, I like a lot of them, so. You can name one from each party. Well, I liked Bob Corker. <laughs> and? You know, I still like him. Uh, I like uh, Chuck Schumer. I like, I, I like a lot of them. Okay. Former General Electric CEO Jack Welch described you this way. She stays above the fray and she observes it. Mm. Is that a good description of you, Anne? I think what he meant, and who am I to say what Jack Welch thinks, I, I think I can stay calm in turmoil. And I do observe things, but that goes back to the nonverbal cues. So I listen, but I also watch. And... Um, I'm interested in crisis. Moments of crisis are very interesting. First of all, it's a lot of information. If you can keep up with what to read, what to absorb, and make sense of it, it is um, enormously interesting. And I think that maybe that's, if I have a talent, that's my talent, to be able to stay calm in a, st in a have, storm. Have you always been like that? It's very hard. Yes, always. Why? Probably came this way. I mean, you uh, have given a lot to your children. You have sacrificed a lot for your children. You still got where you are professionally, which is pretty extraordinary. What, though, at the end of the day, I think we all care most what our kids think about us. So mm -hmm. what do you want them to say about you? Uh, that we were a tribe. We're together. Thank you, Anne. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Boss Files. If you're a new fan of the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and subscribe. While you're there, leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. As always, you can follow me at Poppy Harlow CNN. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.